guys. Welcome back to It's a Theater Thing. This is a podcast made for and by theater fans, and I'm Tracy Danoff. And I'm joined today, as always, by my friend Aaron Carl. Hey, Aaron. Well, hello. Hey. Well, this episode is a very special episode because not only was it the very last episode of Fosse Verdon, we also have the Tonys coming up. And so we're going to be talking about the Tonys for the next couple of weeks and doing some fun things. But first, we're going to talk about Fosse Verdon. If you guys have been listening, we've been doing a separate podcast, the Fosse Verdon Recap. And this week, we decided to just combine everything together since this was the big finale. And it was a pretty interesting episode. Overall, what did you think of the episode, Aaron? I thought it was a very finale finale. Mm-hmm. They wrapped up a whole bunch of stuff, some too quickly, some perfectly. It, I, I thought it was a beautiful ending to this particular story. Yeah, I feel sort of the same way. Like, I enjoyed it, but I feel like maybe they tried to squeeze too much into one episode. Maybe it could have done with one or two extra episodes because there are some things that I think could have been fleshed out a little more, but overall it was very strong. And any which way you look at it, I mean, Michelle Williams, (laughs) I mean, she just kills it in this. She is amazing. Yeah, 100%. She's going to get all the awards for this. And I do agree. Um, How many, like three episodes were over an hour and a half or right at an hour and a half? So they could have rounded this up to an easy 10 episode series. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll get into the, the reasons why a little later. But let's talk about episode eight, the final episode called Providence. And if you watch the last episode, you know that Providence is the middle name of their daughter, Nicole. So it has sort of a double meaning here. But it opens with Bob and Patty walking in the park and they're talking and Patty's just complaining about all the changes his doctor wants him to make. And then we see that title card. And the title card says, New York, all that jazz, pre-production, week seven, nine years left. So then we cut back to the park and... We learned that Patty has also had a heart attack. <laughs> and Bob is saying, hey, you know, I had my heart attack. Now you had to have yours. <laughs> What's up with that? <laughs> the, the general teasing, yes. But yeah, definitely these two are not doing well. Right. <laughs> Although at this point, Bob looks a lot better than Patty. Although Bob is still smoking. Um he starts, Bob starts talking about the movie. He's working on all that jazz, which is the story of his life. And it's very thinly veiled. And he's not happy with the writer. And um, he's telling Patty he needs to get a new writer. But Patty is kind of like, uh, the problem is the ending. So, you know, it was very interesting to me, Aaron. I don't know if, if you caught on to this, how Patty... He pointed out to him that none of his characters ever change. What makes the story interesting is if the character changes by the end of the play. And, you know, Bob's characters really just don't evolve at all. I, yeah, I caught that. They and And that's exactly kind of Bob's M.O. He likes 
things the way he likes things. That's why he always goes for the chorus girls. That's why he's always mm-hmm. drinking and smoking. And yeah, and he can't really take himself away from that. And mm-hmm. I think he thought this writer could do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, give him a different perspective on himself, kind of. Yeah. And he always gravitates towards the, the darker stories. And I guess he looks at his own story as a darker story. And I love the way Patty kind of uses Bob's real life story to build a picture for him. Like, this is the way things are, you know, this talented director choreographer meets this younger woman but you know he had this amazing wife and the biggest thing that that hit me during that conversation was when patty says that his wife was his creative equal you know Mm -hmm. people don't really know that about gwen burden maybe now they do (laughs) but they did before Yes, I was one of those people who knew nothing about Gwen. Like, I literally saw this advertisement for Fosse Verdon, and I'm like, who's Verdon? Like, what's up with that? So I do think that was, yeah, Patty getting one last jab in on, you know, hey, give Gwen the credit she deserves for putting you where you are. Mm-hmm. And I also think it made Bob realize that, hey, he really does love Gwen, but it's probably too late. Yeah, So uh, then they cut to Bob and he's listening to a recording of an interview that he did with Gwen. And during this interview, we find out that Anne has left him. And not only has she left him, but she's also taking over for Gwen in Chicago. And she has a new love. Who, yeah, um, Bob is convinced is gay. (laughs) <laughs> I have a feeling Bob just was, you know, it was just kind of like sour grapes on his part. <laughs> oh, 100%. Because obviously, why would somebody leave him for another person? Right. Even though he has two prime examples right in front of him now. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I love the question Bob asks Gwen. Is it strange that Anne is replacing her? And, you know, he's meaning in Chicago, but she just gives him this look and says, it's pretty familiar. (laughs) Been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Right. (laughs) And, you know, I've been reading a lot about Gwen and Anne, uh, you know, just in the last couple months that the show's been on. And it seems like they actually became pretty good friends, that they really respected each other. They, They were kind of the only two that lived through that situation that would understand each other. Yes, yeah. They could probably commiserate. (laughs) Very much so. I see the wine flowing and the Bob stories being shared. Right. So then Bob asks Gwen if she thinks he has changed. And she doesn't think so. She thinks he's just become more of himself. So I thought that was a pretty interesting answer because it seemed like his impression was people thought he was uh, a rougher person. He wasn't as nice to people. And, you know, Gwen's like, no, you know, you were always kind of like that. It's just now you're showing it more. (laughs) Right. You're just getting more comfortable in your own skin. Right. And Gwen also tells him, although I didn't buy this for a minute, she said that she never, she didn't think of him 
anymore. You know, it was kind of like she was over him. I wonder about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think she had to say that just to put up that barricade in between her and, and Bob. But as we find out later in the episode, there's some obvious proof that that's not true. Right. The other thing is I read in an article, I I can't remember which one because I read so many, that Gwen had, I believe it was three cats, and I think at least one of them, maybe two, uh, had the name Fosse in their name. (laughs) So I'm thinking if you're naming your cat after your ex, or well, I guess they are still technically married (laughs) after your husband, then there's some feelings there. So then we cut to Bob's apartment and Nicole walks in, which was a surprise to me that she walked in. And see, now this is one thing I think they could have fleshed out a little bit because There's really, I mean, you kind of get a sense why Nicole is there, but I would have liked to have seen what happened to bring Nicole to this point. Why is Nicole now living with Bob, which is what we find out. And they kind of gave a generic uh, teenage rebellion answer because he asked Nicole, he's like, oh, I can call your mother back and have you, you know, you can move back in with her and have your shorter curfew and she could be all up in your business. So they they kind of quickly explained it like that. But yeah, some more details could have been intriguing. Yeah, and it is typical teenage angst, but there's also a lot more going on, which we're going to find out about in a minute. And I think the problem was, which I didn't really explore that heavily, was that Gwen was being the mom and Bob was being the friend. So, yes. Anyway, they have this really lovely scene, which apparently is based on a true incident where they dance together and Mm -hmm. Bob is asking Nicole to do everything he does, but to do it using ballet moves. And it's really lovely. And eventually we'll see what happens with that with that dance right (laughs) but it's it's really lovely and it's like a lovely moment of connection between the two of them and Mm -hmm. then they're talking about the movie now this is the part where i had to do a little bit of research because it didn't sound right to me and as it turns out my instincts were correct so Bob mentions that Richard Dreyfus has dropped out of the movie because he's nervous about the dancing. And he makes a joke that he would like to have someone better looking playing him in the movie. And he mentions Tom Selleck. And I'm thinking, huh, okay. I was around at that time. I was probably, let's see, this was like 1979. So I was probably still in elementary school but I was on the older side of elementary school and I'm thinking huh I I vaguely remember the movie coming out I was not allowed to see it (laughs) I can see why yes (laughs) and I certainly remember Tom Selleck coming on the scene but I felt to me like that came later so I did a little research and as it turned out All That Jazz came out in 1979. Magnum P.I., which is really what, you know, 
gave Tom Selleck his fame didn't come out till 1980. So I'm guessing, you know, they're probably shooting the film probably around 1977, 1978. And Tom Selleck, really, like I said, he's he hasn't risen to his stardom yet. So I'm thinking, would he even know <laughs> who Tom Selleck was at that point? I think they were just kind of looking for a good-looking guy that was around in that era, but the dates don't really match up. So. The heartthrob, yeah. Yes. <laughs> like, and it, it could have been maybe because Bob's in the industry, maybe Tom's headshot had been going around. I mean, possibly. But, yeah, but yeah, I definitely, I think it's more like, yeah, they were just doing quick research and it was like, yeah, he's a hottie, okay. Yeah, because, like, Nicole knew who he was, and which she, you know, she kind of makes a joke back, you know, about it. and Yeah. Yeah. About the hair. Yeah. That's, that's one of Bob's, <laughs> his, his little, his little insecurities is, oh, I'm bald. Yes. <laughs> so then Bob suggests that Nicole play herself in the movie, and she looks really happy. You know, it just, you could tell that just means so much to her. And then we cut to Gwen, and she's meeting with her agent, and she just wants to work. I mean, our girl Gwen, yeah. she is a worker, you know. And apparently there was a play that, and, and I, did you catch the name of that play? I played it back like three times. And the name not- was, the name that they said was Mumble Mumble Gamma Rays. Now there's a oh. book called The, um, the effects of gamma rays on uh, moonlight and marigolds. Ma- marigolds, yeah. Yes. So it could have been based off of that, but definitely the name that the manager gave back was gamma rays. Okay, I could not get that. And she said that she found out. I guess she was walking by and saw the signage outside of the theater, and she said, well, Shelly's playing the role. So I'm assuming she's referring to Shelly Winters. I would have to look that up. That was one thing I forgot to look up. Um, (laughs) But it it sounds like it would be because they're probably around the same same age. You know, maybe Gwen was a little older, but around the same age. Yeah. So, yeah, so she just wants to work, and the agent is saying, well, you know, if Chicago goes on tour, you'll get those royalties, and she, she she's not... She poo that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's, so that, that's kind of when she makes her stand on, like, I'm an actor. I have to be on stage. I have to move. I can't just sit and take in royalties from stuff I've done. Yeah, but it sounds like she probably would have gotten some more work if she had gone out to L.A. Yes, they, uh, the, the manager even says, you know, hey, just go out to L.A. That's where everything's happening right now. It goes in seasons. It goes in flows. Sometimes New York has all the, the jobs, and then sometimes it's out in L.A. in film. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like a lot of TV and film, well, still still being shot in in LA. And if she had gone out there, she would have gotten a lot of guest shots. Those were the days where you would turn on like a Magnum PI or a love boat or, or, or a fantasy island. I remember watching those as a kid and you'd always see these huge stars doing these little roles. Like I remember seeing Ginger Rogers on the love boat and thinking, yeah. 
how cool is that? Um. <laughs> and Gwen even, yeah, Gwen even makes a comment like, I'm not going to be the little old lady who gets her purse stolen on, I, for, I forget yeah. the name of the show, but on some cop show. Right. <laughs> so then she makes kind of a joke, like, get me on the bar mitzvah circuit <laughs> or something. But hey, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's how Adina Menzel started out. So <laughs> At least she would have a microphone in her hand. Yeah, that's. Yeah, she she was, again, pointing out, I need to work. I need to be in movement. Right. So then we cut to auditions for all that jazz. And it's kind of weird because Anne is there. And I have a hard I know they call her Annie in the show. I think that is what people who know her call her. But I have a hard time calling her Annie. I just call her Anne because I know her as Anne Ryan King. Anne shows up to basically audition for a role playing herself. So. Yeah. Whoa. How <laughs> could you? Yeah. This, this whole episode was very meta in that sense. Anne auditioning for herself in a, in a movie. And then we'll get into different other guest stars and everything. Um, mm-hmm. later as the scenes progress. But yeah, it, it, it's very meta in that sense. Yes. Yeah, it is. It's really weird. And then we cut to Nicole and she's all, uh, you know, all alone at home in Bob's apartment and she's drinking. And then she finds his Dexedrine and pops some Dexedrine. <laughs> and, and again, I'm Aaron, I was hearing your voice. Someone save Nicole. <laughs> Save Nicole! Save <laughs> Nicole! Oh my lord! This this was the episode that I got my picket signs ready. I was just I was ready to roll. Um, <laughs> thankfully, Nicole and her two sons were actually part of Lin Manuel Miranda's live tweet party. Uh huh. So that was very very interesting to get. They did live videos during the breaks, and you know she just gave updates throughout. So. I know she's safe. I know she's okay. So the picket signs are put away. But <laughs> this, this gets me. This gets me when I see scenes like this. Yes. And it also makes me wonder why they didn't flesh out that a little more. I, I felt like I would have liked to have known how they handled the fact that Nicole was doing this stuff. I mean, apparently Bob didn't seem to care. But Bob, yeah, the, um, in the in the first scene when she walks in and she had been drinking, he actually gives her advice on using uh, Visine to get rid of her bloodshot eyes yeah. before she comes home. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not something a parent should be telling. Like, that's something a parent should be looking for. Like, oh, you have bloodshot eyes. Something's yeah. wrong. Great parenting skills. Then we go back to Bob. And boy, he's just giving Anne such a hard time in this rehearsal room. And he's really egging her on. And, I, you know, obviously trying to make her mad. And finally, yeah. she just kind of loses it on him. And that's exactly what he wanted. That was exactly the passion that he wanted from her. I was just going to say, yeah, he wanted to kind of make sure that she could could work with him in that way. Well, I think he he knew she could handle the performance. And if he got her mad enough, she would give him what he wanted. And she does. And so he ends up giving her the part. Yep. Yeah. Yep. She's in the movie. Yeah. It's really kind of weird. But then we see Bob coming home with some random girl. There's always like some random girl. Mm-hmm. And he finds Nicole on the couch and he can tell she had been drinking and she admits that she took his dexedrine. And again, he's just kind of like, 
well, you're going to have trouble sleeping tonight. (laughs) He kind of thinks it's funny, I think. And the, the, the date's the one that's concerned. She's like, should I leave? Should you, like, take care of this? Like, what's going on? Yeah. And, and Bob's just like, nope, we're going to the bedroom. She, yeah. She's on her own. Yeah. I mean, he says to her, if you want to act like an adult, you have to, you know, deal with it like an adult. And he leaves her. I thought, wow, more great parenting there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That's, I, I, I mean, that's the kind of parenting that he received, so... Yes. I guess it's kind of nature versus nurture here in this situation. So, Mm -hmm. And I couldn't help but think back to the earlier episode where he's telling Gwen, let's have a baby. I want to have a baby with you and let's get married and da, da, da. And you think, boy, he's going to be a doting father. And even when Nicole is little, even though he has her do some unorthodox things, he does seem like very loving towards her. But when she starts doing this stuff, he's just like, eh, you know, I've got my own life to live. You're on your own kid. (laughs) Oh, you're you're 11? Okay, you should be making money for the family. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye, girl. Anyway, (laughs) then we cut to Gwen and Ron and they're you know, out on the balcony and they talk about maybe moving out of the city. And I was actually expecting Ron to put up a fight because he didn't look too happy about it. Right. It did take him a minute to kind of come around. And then it was LA. And then they kind of were just like, okay, just out of the city, like not necessarily all the way across the country, but just like not in this mess. And I think he agrees with that because again, in future scenes, we're going to see, that he just wants Gwen away from Bob. Yeah. Away from that toxic relationship. Because I think he he's really, really connecting now that, okay, this is this is not good. Yes. It's it's more than just he's the jealous ex. This is like harmful. Yes. So then we cut to the filming of All That Jazz and there's a title card that says New York, All That Jazz, filming day six, eight years left. And Gwen and Nicole are watching Roy Scheider, um, who is played by Lynn Manuel Miranda. <laughs> With some chest hair. <laughs> oh yeah. And and they you, you did gotta something... go go all out for it, man. Yeah, and they did something with his nose. It was kind of odd. Um Yeah. Yeah, he definitely had a lot of makeup. It took me a good second to realize. Like I was like Oh, okay. Oh, that is Lynn. Got yeah, it. yeah. I mean, I knew it from the voice, like when he spoke. And I, I mean, I thought, is it him? And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's him. That's um, him. <laughs> and he's doing the uh, dance routine with the child actress who's playing Nicole. And it's the mm-hmm. same dance that Nicole and Bob had done in the apartment. Even yeah, not, not five scenes before they're doing it now. Yeah, I mean, even down to the conversation they're having. Exactly. You could see Nicole is really hurt by this. Yeah, her and her and you know Gwen kind of checks in on her and's like, "Are you okay with this? Like, what's going on?" Mm -hmm. And they just they're they're chit chatting and they get shushed by a producer. And um, uh, in the live tweet party, that is uh, pointed out that that is actually Sean Fossey. Bob Fosse's grandson. Oh, wow. Interesting. So he was shushing his character mother and grandmother right there. (laughs) And the little girl who was playing the Nicole character, 
uh-huh. actually was in The Greatest Showman as one of the daughters. So that oh. was Michelle's daughter from The Greatest Showman. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Like like I said, meta all the way. Like yeah. Inception here. Definitely. Yeah, check, check out Lin-Manuel uh, Miranda's uh, Twitter feed for all that. Like, he, he took pictures with everybody. He was, like, doing the little family trees. It, it's, it's good. Oh, very cool. Well, as I said, Nicole does get upset. And finally, she asks Gwen if she can move back in with her. And Gwen says, of course. So mm-hmm. then we cut to Gwen getting Nicole's stuff from Bob. And that's when she breaks it to him that they're thinking of moving out of the city. So Bob says, well, you know, I was going to offer you the tour of Chicago. And I kind of wonder, did he do that because he really wanted her in the tour? Or did he want to keep her in New York. I mean, it just was interesting to me that all of a sudden he wants her to be in the tour. Magic timing, I would say. Very, very convenient. I, th- I personally think he was sitting on it for a little bit. And he may not have been planning on it being Gwen to mm-hmm. tour. It could have been, yeah, it could have just been he was just going to audition again mm-hmm. for, you know, somebody new. But then when this popped up, like, oh, I'm moving out of the city and I'm taking Nicole, that that leaves Bob completely alone. So we know he can't do that. Yeah. Unfortunately, Ron is not having it. He is like, (laughs) he's like, you hated this. Why don't you work on Chicago again? You hated that show. The worst time of your life. Though you were in pain, you were hurting, you like you were not having a good time. Right. And and he's like, What about our move? (laughs) Oh, what's what's up with that? You just talked me into moving out of the city and now you're you want to like go and do something for six months which will turn into nine months which will turn into 18 months right and finally he basically says to her if you go on tour don't expect me to be here when you get back so yeah our our boy scout puts down the ultimatum he's not putting up with it anymore he's He's doing himself good and avoiding toxic relationships. Yes. I, I, I was just going to say, I can't blame him. I mean, that was a toxic relationship because it wasn't just the two of them in that relationship. It was three because Bob was very much a part of that relationship. Yeah. Rob points that out. He's like, I'm really, it gets really crowded in here with the third person, you know, like. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So then we cut to the set where Roy is filming a scene for All That Jazz. And I have I haven't seen the movie. Believe it or not, I've it's not on Netflix. I can't seem to find it anywhere. Um so if anybody out there knows, let us know. Give us a shout. Uh, but it's yeah. really weird that I can't seem to locate this movie, but this scene looks really odd. I, from what I read, this is supposed to be the closing scene of the movie. And yeah. there's all this applause going on. And Roy, as Bob, is just basically running up and down these stairs, <laughs> these risers. And lots of people are sitting there. And some of them have odd makeup. And they're all applauding him. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing. This is another part that I feel like they could have fleshed out a little more 
we really didn't learn a whole heck of a lot about this movie. Now, it's not like they went into depth about Lenny or, you know, I mean, they, they gave us something when it came to uh, Sweet Charity. And certainly, you know, we got a little farther into it with Cabaret. But I really felt like since this movie was basically about Bob Fosse's life, that it would have been covered a little more. But it really wasn't. Yeah, they they just really only brought it up in this episode, and it was just, okay, he's filming the movie now. Yeah. Yeah, no, no details. Yeah. So, it's interesting because, and I thought this was actually kind of an odd moment, where Roy is kind of like, well, you should try this. <laughs> you know, I'm getting this applause. <laughs> or yeah. actually, I should cool. say... Lynn as Roy. Um. <laughs> yeah. Lynn as Roy as John as Bob. Yes. Like, it was very, very, <laughs> very intricate. Meta. Yes. Yeah. But I felt like that was really odd. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would, I, I, I mean, I've never been on a film set, but I wouldn't think that they would take up time like that for the director, I guess maybe because it was about his life. So they just, you know, he was more involved in the production and the yeah. basic story. So maybe that's yeah. why. But yeah, it just, it didn't make sense. And then the way it ended. So he's going and he's hugging the same people. And then at the end, they're, they like, they just stop applauding and sit down. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. Like, like as if that, that was weird for them too. Yeah, it was. And they almost looked bored after it was all over. Like, huh, one's, you know, one's a lunch bell. Or, you know, right, like, right. Like, I'm I'm not getting scaled. I'm only getting uh, background fees. So yeah. uh, when, when's my break? Like, when's Union 5 here? Come on. Right. So while all this is happening, we see Nicole basically partying with friends on a rooftop, which does not look good. Nope. That that's uh, again yeah. again I, I I'm pulling out my Save Nicole uh, posters again. Yes, it's very scary like, scene. Yes, it sounds like Nicole needed saving back then. And then sadly, we see Ron packing his stuff because he's getting ready to leave. Yeah, Gwen didn't accept the ultimatum. She was gonna she's gonna go to Chicago, and mm-hmm. so Ron is doing what he said he would do. Yeah. Well, I think the work just meant everything to her. It meant more to her than her personal relationships. Yeah. So. Even, I mean, I th- I'm, I'm kind of under the impression that's why her and Bob got along so well. Yeah. Is because he was also all about the work. And so it just became the relationship was work. Yes. Yeah. So then we cut to Gwen and she looks like she's... Uh, standing in front of a crowd of fancy people, and there's a title card that says, Gwen Verdon, 10 months after her final Chicago tour performance, seven years left. And it turns out she's at a fundraiser for a mental health facility, and she's just there to entertain them, so they'll open their pockets and donate. <laughs> she, she's playing the convention circuit. Yes. We see another scene of her in her kitchen. And I've mentioned this before on the podcast. Gwen seemed like she 
aside from dancing, it seemed like she loved to cook because we always see her cooking, cooking with Nicole, cooking on her own. And here she's all on her own. And it, it was so sad, sitting, you know, seeing her sit at that table. She makes this obviously very involved meal. I mean, she's making like homemade pasta and she's making sauce. And when she's finished cooking, she sits down at a table all by herself and eats. Yeah, that's very, very sad. And it, it, it shows that kind of dual life. You know, it went from her in front of, you know, a thousand people in a crowded ballroom and they're all cheering and giving money. And then she's at home alone. Yeah. 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 So then we cut to Bob and he's just been with yet another girl. I mean, come on, really? <laughs> this, and this this one is young. Yes, yes. He's she's very young, and she's going off to class. She has it sounds like it's an acting class, and he wants her to stay. And she's like, "No, I gotta go." <laughs> and I was yeah, thinking, like- yeah, I was thinking, gosh, you know, she's talking about, oh, well, after class, the you know, the class is going out for drinks afterwards, and he's like, "I'm not invited," and I'm thinking. When you feel weird, like you're probably a good 20, 30 years older than these kids. And wouldn't it be weird to be hanging out with them? And she didn't seem to want him there. Right. No, she totally does not want him there. Like he is not taking the hint. Like she's giving him all the excuses like, no, you're not coming. Yes. And he he would he just thinks it's 100% normal that he's just going to show up to this bar with a whole bunch of young chorus kids and um and hang out and drink and party. Yeah. And then he starts asking her about some guy in her class and you know, it was very reminiscent of what was described during that audition scene with Anne, where, you know, in that audition scene, he's asking her about someone, you know, that she's dancing with. It was sort of the same thing. And I was like, oh, my gosh, does this guy, like, ever evolve? Like, I, I guess that's why his characters don't evolve, because he doesn't change at all. Exactly. He is in that jealous rut of if the woman is not paying a hundred percent attention to me then something must be wrong yes yeah so then he gets a phone call and it's neil and then the next thing you see is well you see a funeral basically and bob appears up on well we call it in the in the synagogue we would call it a bima and he is talking about his friend Patty. He only says a couple words. And then he says, I hope it doesn't offend anyone. This doesn't offend anyone. And he starts to dance. And that is reminiscent of the the uh, conversation they had where, you know, Patty was telling Bobby needed to take better care of himself or he was going to give this long drawn out speech at you know at his funeral and three hours long no jokes right i'll drag it on i will use uh dictionary definitions right (laughs) and meanwhile uh bob says well i'll tap dance at your funeral (laughs) he doesn't quite tap dance but he does dance and actually it was really lovely yeah he, he gives him a little soft shoe and it's yeah it's it's yeah, yeah, it's it's very somber, and yet, I mean, that's Bob's gift. 
Yes. So it's it's him showing his gift for his friend. Yes. Yeah. So then we see Bob and Gwen sitting drinking together, and they're talking about Nicole, who apparently had uh, auditioned for something that she did not get. And then there's a title card, Bob Fosse, four years after all that jazz, received four Oscar nominations. And then we see another one that says Bob Fosse, two months after his next film, Star 80, opened to the worst reviews of his career, three years left. And I have to say, I remember that movie. Um, I remember (laughs) that movie only because, well, I was too young to see it in the theaters. Because if you're not familiar with Star 80, it's about, oh, I want to say her name is Dorothy Stratton, I believe. She was a, a Playboy playmate who was sort of on the rise and was murdered by a jealous husband. And... At the time, <laughs> when I was old enough, actually, when I was old enough to, to rent, no, this is how old I am, when I was old enough to rent VHS tapes, um, <laughs> I checked this out because Roger Rees was in the movie, who I was a huge fan of. And if you're not familiar with him, try and see the Royal Shakespeare Company's version of Nicholas Nickleby. It's out there. It's very long, but it's so worth it. And he's amazing in it. Um, This movie was bad. (laughs) It was. It was just bad. Um, (laughs) That that doesn't sound like a good premise to start off. Like, not for for Fosse. Like, I could see, like, an M. Night Shyamalan, like, a murder mystery director taking into that. But, Yeah. yeah. Not somebody known for their dancing. Yeah, I think this this case got a lot of press at the time because she was sort of famous, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And I guess that's why they decided to make the movie. I don't, (laughs) but it was just a bad idea all the way around. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, then we cut back to Gwen and Bob and. We find out Ron has gotten married and has had children, which is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, good good for our Boy Scout. Yeah, he deserves some happiness. <laughs> and Gwen, Gwen is not jealous about that. She's like, good. she is the one saying good on him. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think she cared about him a lot, but he was probably second in her eyes compared to Bob. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Always. Yeah. So then they talk about the revival of Sweet Charity that's coming up. And Bob says he's just too busy to do it. But he thinks that Gwen should work on it. Gwen is hesitant. He's saying he doesn't want to do it because if he's doing revivals, that means he's getting old. Um, (laughs) And I wanted to be like... Get over yourself, Bob. <laughs> you are. You are old. <laughs> they both have this horrible mentality of it, those who can't do teach. Yeah. And, and and it's like, no, you should be teaching. Like, that's how you're going to pass this on. Yes. So I guess he talks Gwen into it because then we cut back to Bob and he's in his apartment making notes into a tape recorder I'm guessing for a new movie idea and again you know this is pretty much his life it's it's interesting that he's basically describing Gwen he's talking about you know what if you find this woman who does everything for you who's there when the chips are down who's there when you're sick who's there in your good times who celebrates you 
and a, a, you know, pretty young thing comes along. Do you leave your wife for the pretty young thing? And he's like, yes. Of course you do. <laughs> of, of course. course. You do. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Very reminiscent of the, uh, of the glory episode. Yeah. Where he's like, of course the guy kills himself. Of course Pippin kills himself. He yeah. wants glory. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh. And so then he gets a call from Gwen and she's just basically like, this revival is not working. You know, she's telling him that she really, you know, wishes he could see the show, you know, the rehearsal because it's just not working. And, uh, and so he's like, what time's your rehearsal tomorrow? And he's on the next plane out. <laughs> he's like, I will be there. Yes. <laughs> so then we see a title card that says Los Angeles Sweet Charity Revival Pre-Broadway Rehearsal Day 29. And they mention that they love the lead and they refer to her as Debbie. We later find out it's Debbie Allen. Which kind of explains the whole dance number on fame between Gwen and Debbie Allen. I guess at that yeah. point, Debbie was like, hey, come on my show. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. They were close friends then by that, by that point. Yeah. And so we see the rehearsal and Debbie's doing her thing. And Bob is like, you know, what are you doing? And she's like dancing. And, you know, he is not happy with it. And so he has Gwen recreate the dance. And it's for the number, If My Friends Could See Me Now, which is usually really up-tempo and energetic. And it's still up-tempo the way Gwen does it, but it's also very moving and a lot more poignant than what Debbie Allen was doing initially. Yeah, she just breaks it down, gives gives the character life, like she's been doing for the whole since Sweet Chariot, the movie, when mm-hmm. she got brought in to, you know, to help the chorus girls get it together. She mm-hmm. just takes that, that character work and puts it in. One thing I loved about that scene was Bob got down on his knees and he was like eyeballing every angle of Gwen again, just mm-hmm. like the old days. Like he, he's so enamored with how she moves, even in this random rehearsal. Yes. And I was thinking at the time when I was watching that scene, like, ha, huh, I guess your tune has changed because you didn't think she could do anything during Chicago. You were all like, she's too old. you know? Right. Yeah. And now she's teaching you a whole new way to present uh, charity. Yeah. Right. So then we see another title card, Washington, D.C., Sweet Charity National Tour Opening Night, eight minutes left. And you're like, oh, eight minutes left. Are you kidding me? Um, uh, it's <laughs> yeah. happening. It's happening. It's happening. And there's a knock on the door at Bob's hotel room, and it's Gwen. And they're going to walk to the theater together. Their hotel, I believe it's the Willard. It's right down the street from uh, National Theater, which I've been, been to many, many times. And they're walking, and he seems a little out of it, like he doesn't feel right. And then the next thing you know, he collapses on the sidewalk in front of the theater. So my issue with this scene, (laughs) I had several issues with this scene. (laughs) Okay, let's go, let's go. Okay, my first issue with the scene was when he collapses, 
Gwen is calling for someone to call an ambulance and people are just kind of standing around. <laughs> you notice that? Yeah. Like, you know, like there's like people waiting to go into the theater and nobody's like running over to help. What is up with it's, that? It's just her. Yeah. She's down with him. And yeah, they, they do kind of just make everybody else just fade in the background, but they're still watching. It's like, yeah. there has to be some, trained doctor or somebody who who at least would want to run up and help well or, or there's got to be a better way to present it because it's like wouldn't i i mean i understand they wanted them to have this moment you know in the earlier scene bob is saying you know you have this wife and she's there for you all the time and she's there when you're sick and there when you're not and da 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 and here he is lying on the ground and she's going to him i've got you and she, and Gwen's holding his hand and and she's trying to talk to him and you would think at some point someone would you know run over and say I've, I've, you know, usually there's that random character who doesn't have a name who runs over and says, I just called an ambulance. I'll be here in five minutes or, or, or the ambulance is stuck in traffic or, you know, yeah, there's always yeah. like some, something. Some way to move the story ahead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They did, they did kind of just end that scene. They did a beautiful flashback of like, you know, their, um, more recent troubles, you know, their good times, and then they yeah. went back to the whole um, when she, when they first meet, when she walks into that rehearsal room and he's sitting there, and I thought that was one of the cutest scenes. Was he lights a cigarette and says, "I'm nervous," and she takes the cigarette from him and takes a puff and is like, "Me too." Yeah, I mean, it was just odd how. I mean, I like the fact that they had those flashbacks. I mean, I, you know, what, obviously what they're trying to say is he really did, you know, care about her and she was probably the love of his life because that's what he's thinking of at the end of his life. But at the same time, it just felt really odd. And then the other thing that bothered me was even after that segment was over, still nobody's approaching them. I mean, you know, I understand giving, you know, it's a a directorial choice, giving them that moment, giving the moment so he can sort of have these flashbacks. But usually after that moment's over, then somebody's coming up and saying, okay, the ambulance is coming or I called the ambulance or, you know, it's like nobody is approaching them at all. That I felt really odd odd about. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was I was just going to move on. I was just going to say that, yeah, then they just kind of went into the closing title cards. Yeah, I will say one thing about that scene. One one thing that I mean, because I am a, you know, I do live outside of D.C. I did get a kick out of the fact that they, you know, looks like they filmed outside of National Theater. And uh, I thought that was really cool. And I may have mentioned it before, but one time I was on a job interview at National Theater and the person who was interviewing me gave me a tour of the theater, which was really cool and took me, actually took me outside to the spot and said, this is where Bob Fosse had his heart attack. (laughs) And I'm like, huh, 
Wow. <laughs> a, l- a little history for you. Yes, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. But actually, guys, if you ever do get a chance to see anything at National Theater in D.C., it's a great theater, really, really nice theater. So anyway, yeah, it was it was good to see that. But yeah, you're right. They just went right into the the title card and it says Bob Fosse was pronounced dead in the emergency room. And then we see more text and that says 12 years later, a review of the work that Bob and Gwen created together opened on Broadway. It was called Fosse. Gwen was credited with artistic advisor, which I think is perfect because Mm -hmm. she was his artistic advisor from day one. Yeah. So, so the fact that their revival, their, their review of the work that Bob, quote unquote, put together also credited her. Yes. Now, the one thing that I felt was kind of odd that they didn't include was they could have put it in text and put it very succinctly. But the fact that Chicago was revived and is still running. I mean, how Chicago was such a huge part of the series. How do you leave that out at the end? One one little extra sentence. Yeah, that was yeah. kind of weird that they they could have. Yeah, they could have flashed to the current marquee. Yeah, it was really odd. And then they go on to say that Bob and Gwen's daughter, Nicole, pursued a career in dance, appearing on Broadway and in film. And then the next piece of text says she spent many years struggling with drug, alcohol, and other addictions. Don't know what those other addictions are, but hopefully, you know, hopefully well, all well, coming, coming from her father, there are lots of vices that it could have been. So. Yes. And then they cut to, to a shot of a house, just like this mm-hmm. random house. And the text says, Nicole left New York in 1995 and began the process of recovery, which is wonderful. I'm so glad that she's doing well today. Yes. Yay. We're, we're all happy because we were all very worried about her. My campaign worked. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then it says she fell in love, got married, and raised three sons on a farm in Vermont. And then the final piece of text says, Gwen moved in with her daughter in August 2000. Two months later, Gwen died in her sleep. So, you know, Gwen had a good long life, and it was nice that she, you know, in the end had a good relationship with her daughter, because it seemed like that was a bit troubled. I didn't love the way they ended it. (laughs) I'll tell you why. I think it would have been, instead of seeing that shot of a house with a car driving away, I Mm -hmm. think it would have been very cool if they had cut to some video of the real Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon dancing together. There's certainly stuff out there. I mean, I've seen it on YouTube. Yeah. I think it would have been so impactful to cut to that. Yeah, I've, I've said it before. It's just that, oh, it, it's that they, the finale curse where mm-hmm. everything just has to be sped up and ended. Yeah. And wrapped yeah. up in a nice little bow. It was a very nice bow. But for fans that are now addicted, you know, we need more. Yeah. And I'm sure there are people out there saying, who is Tracy to be judging on Tommy Kale? I know you guys. I know. He's the one with the Tony, not me. Okay. I get it. I do. But I do think, I, you know, I like what I like. 
sorry. Right, yeah. Yeah, this is obviously just an opinion, how right. we would do it differently. But, right. you know, and and that's just, I think everybody knows that feeling of you watch any finale of any series and it just doesn't feel right. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel like a normal story. Yeah, this and this did not feel completely tied up with a bow for me. I think there's been a lot of differing opinions about it, but I think for the most part, people thought it was a valuable series. I certainly do. I mean, I'm glad Mm -hmm. that it was produced, but yeah, sometimes you just want a little more. So, (laughs) right, right. Totally see. I totally see where you're coming from with that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So guys, this is our wrap up of Fosse Verdon. If you guys have FX, I'm sure it's still on demand. It's also on Hulu. So I recommend you to check it out if you haven't done so already. So we're going to move on because y'all, Tony's are coming up. So we have a short segment. We were talking about this. We thought it would be fun to do our top five Tony performances. And... Mine kind of go a little ways back. Not all of them. Most of them are pretty contemporary. <laughs> so so we're going to talk about that with the Tonys coming up on the 9th. It's pretty exciting. I'm really, really excited to see some of the performances, especially Town. Really looking forward to that. As you guys know, I'm kind of obsessed. Um. <laughs> That's going to be a good one. Yes, that is going to be a good one. Yes. So let's talk about our top five. So, Aaron, I'm going to let you go first. What's number five for you? (sighs) Okay. Number five is the hair revival uh, from, I believe it's 2009. Mm -hmm. Um, I just adore Gavin Creel and that whole cast was stunning and how they leapt out into the audience. Everybody in that whole Radio City Music Hall was involved in that song. Mm-hmm. So it just had the passion, it had the the yeah. flair, and it really just showed what the show was about. And I love, I love the performances that can do that. Because this is kind of what it's about. It's for the people that can't make it to see the shows. Those performances mm-hmm. just give a little peek, a little taste. Absolutely. Well, my number five is, I believe, 1998, and it's Lion King, because how can you look at that and not be transported? It's just so excellent and such an amazing opening number. And it, you know, it showed, I felt at the time, it showed pretty well on television, and it made me want to go out and see the show. So I'm sure it did that for other people. Okay, yeah. what's, what's your number four? All right. Number four is In the Heights, 96,000. Uh, yeah. I know. That was so cool. And yes. it, it just kind of gave a peek of Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, yes. It was Whoopi Goldberg was hosting, and Unsnavi in character was standing right next to her, and she just kind of was like, do your thing. Do it. And he's like, right. oh, Okay. And then all of a sudden, it's him alone on the stage at Radio City Music Hall. And that's just such 
an iconic moment, and then he's showing and the whole cast, and again, it's just the same. It's everybody's involved, everybody's up and dancing and clapping. 96,000 is a huge, huge number for the show in the Heights. And so, again, giving that perfect little taste. Yes, yeah. And that was almost one of my picks. I had a hard time choosing, to be honest with you. Just keeping it down to five was tough for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, my next one was actually the same year as Lion King. And this is one of my all-time favorite shows, Ragtime. Just a beautiful show. Unfortunately, the quality of the video isn't fabulous. But, and that's just, I guess, because it's old, or I don't know, that at least the video that I found on YouTube wasn't great. But watching the number itself, it's just so beautiful. Aaron's and Flaherty, they just know how to write a beautiful song. It's staged so well. It conveys so much just from really not saying a lot, just from the choreography and the beautiful music. Um, it's just gorgeous. And honestly, I feel one of the best opening numbers that's ever seen a Broadway stage. I mean, it's just gorgeous. So that's my number four. Yeah. What's your number three? Oh, okay. My number three would be the recently closed Avenue Q. Ah, because I, yeah, it was so again funny, and it took the uh, in in two thousand and four, it took the the audience and the Tony voters kind of out of their comfort zone because everybody and their brother was thinking, oh, this is going to be wicked cheer. Mm-hmm. And then this little show with puppets <laughs> pops up, and they're up there cursing, they're up there, you know, struggling and living everyday life. And obviously, people connected with it because then it won best musical. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of controversy about that, but yes, <laughs> it did win that year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, it won, and I know, I know there's controversy because yeah, yeah. there, yeah, the whole there's, yeah, the, the whole Should they have... thing and the versus the Vegas thing, and yeah, there was there was some expectations going on at the time. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, I have I have more controversy with my next couple of picks, so we're good oh, to okay. go. Well, I have to tell you guys, like, for me, I have a three, a two, and a one, but they might as well be tied because I really do all love them equally. But number three for me is Dear Evan Hansen with Ben Platt singing Waving Through a Window. I mean, if you can sit there and watch that and not cry, I, I applaud you because I cry every freaking time. <laughs> I just do. I mean, he gives such a magnificent performance. He totally deserved that Tony that year. Mm-hmm. And it's just an awesome song. So Yes. Yeah, yeah I, I 100% agree. Uh, that That's another one that just... they, they the, Those performers know how to just put it all on the stage and he did he left nothing for himself when he was done with that performance uh, and that was the uh he was actually on vocal rest the week before oh wow like the doctors were telling him like you can't do this you can't keep up with this and he's like okay i have to make a choice i have to either do my show or miss out on the tonys so he did both he kind of went in and out of the performances at at the music uh 
music box theater, and then he saved it for like two days before, and then went and did the Tonys. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. He, he's just an amazing performer. So what's your number two? <sighs> I'm going to go with uh, Same As You. Uh, that my two, my my top five really could all kind of be tied, but if I had to place them in a specific order, the next one would be American Idiot. Ah. Yeah, I know. It's, it's not one that uh, comes to a lot of minds, but that uh, particular performance, they had to choreograph a whole bunch of stuff. That opening number for the show is ridiculous with the lighting and the choreography and they have they have um the um extraordinary girl flying already like she's already in a harness during during the curtain opening that's that's crazy and just to see it on stage um see it on camera on tv and then also you know people my age people doing the work and yeah. being young and connect yeah so i really really connected to that yeah. um i loved the show and i thought it was an amazing performance so it's a great yeah it's a, that's a great one well my number 2 is rent they i am a rent head from way back and they did seasons of love and la vie bohème and I, what can I say? I mean, I just love the show. I love the music. I, really, that that's pretty much it. I'm just, <laughs> I just love it all. So love the you performances. Can, <laughs> you do, you do not need to defend putting Rent on this list. That is one hundred percent. I agree with that. Yeah, that is that was a beautiful performance and a beautiful beautiful cast. Yes. Okay. Number one. What's your number one? Okay, it's that time. I know you're all going to be super, super shocked, but Spring Awakening. And I'm splitting this one. I know. Gasp. Gasp from the audience here. Uh, but I am splitting it between the original production, um, who did a mix of Mama Who Bore Me. Uh, uh, did they do Bitch of Living? I for, now, I'm, now I forget. And then they did an edited version of uh, Totally Effed. And but, that, but they also added on stage audience members, which was huge for the Tony Awards. Like they, you know, put this out months ahead of time. They had to credential these few audience members that got it. You know, these fans that kind of entered this lottery. It was a huge deal. And so that was awesome to see. Um, but my number one will always be the Deaf West uh, production. So there's a little controversy about the Deaf West Spring Awakening um, production and this particular performance. Uh, Ken Davenport put Kickstarter program up to raise money to get the costumes out, to get the rehearsal space, to fly cast members back. And some fans supported that. You know, they, they put money up, they shared the website so it could raise more money and then some fans were kind of like well kickstarter is a little weird because all ken has to do is at the very end put the remaining money in and he's going to get all this fan money Mm. yeah it was it was a little off and yeah like you were saying i could see why people would be a little upset with it um but it ended up being an amazing production and um, they were backstage 
with Hamilton and like everybody was loving it and um, they ended up not winning the uh, particular uh, award that they were nominated for which was Best Revival and I'm sorry but Michael Arden still should have won Best Director for this production he did get it for Once on this Island but mm. I'm still a little bitter still a little bitter <laughs> um, well at least he was at least he was recognized <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He was recognized, but yeah, it it was so it 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 has a special place in my heart. The Duff West Spring Awakening uh, Tony performance. Ah, uh, well, my number one will probably not be a huge shock to people. My number one is Hamilton. <laughs> and, oh! Yes, from 2016, and they did the number Yorktown, but it was. It's especially impactful for me because we had had that terrible news right before the Tonys that there had been a mass killing at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida. And because of that, the producers of Hamilton made the decision that during that scene, where normally the actors would be holding prop guns, they decided not to use guns. They just mimed it during, yeah. during that um, during that choreography. But it was still fabulous. I, it's actually mm-hmm. Yorktown is my favorite number in the whole show. So for me to be able to see it on the Tonys was especially exciting. Um, <laughs> and it was just an exciting that year for was, them. <laughs> oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. 2016 was, um, the, yeah, was the year of Hamilton yeah. on the Tonys. Yeah. They, I think they on, ended up doing three total performances. Yeah. Cause they, but, they had a part of the opening Mm-hmm. And then, then they at once they won best uh, musical, they they closed it out. Yeah, but that one is the one that I remember. That one was especially yeah, Ham- meaningful for me. So yeah, yeah. York Yorktown was their like quote unquote official yeah. performance. Yeah. yeah, so that was a great one. So guys, that was our top five Tony performances. I'm sure this year we'll be able to add to the list. <laughs> I know I'll, I'm sure I will be. <laughs> um, yes. And we're going to put links to these videos up on our Facebook page. So just look for It's a Theater Thing on Facebook and you'll find them there. And we're going to move on to our last segment, which is Beyond the Boards. And if you guys aren't familiar with Beyond the Boards, it's basically just news about the theater community. So, Erin, I'm going to let you go first. I have a few things uh, all happening in New York City, so if you're around and about, get ready. Uh, Gavin Creel will be at the 92nd Street Y on Monday, June 17th. Uh, It is a 7.30 performance, and you can get your tickets at 92y.org. Reeve Carney will be at the Green Room 42 on Sunday, June 30th. That's a 9.30 performance, and get your tickets there at thegreenroom42.com. If you're in New York this week, stop by Smackery's Bakery, because it is Broadway Bakes Week, and you can get served up your favorite delicious cookies by some of your favorite delicious artists. And you guys definitely want to go to Smackery's. <laughs> it's good. 
It's, it's good. good. It's good. <laughs> Get the fun fatty. What do you got chicken. for us, Tracy? <laughs> oh, my first yeah. yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that's my first pick. Get the fun fatty cookie. Um, <laughs> hey, what do you have for us, Tracy? So I have a few things to share. First of all, sad news: Avenue Q closed on May twenty fourth. It was supposed to close on April twenty eighth, but got extended. And it had been playing at the New World stages since 2009, and that was right after a six-year run on Broadway. Avenue Q is such a great show. It's definitely going to be missed, and we hope we see it again soon. I know it's being done regionally, so I'm sure you'll be able to catch it at some point in your local theater. The second thing I wanted to share with you guys, I mean, you guys all know my obsession about Six the Musical. I know, it's a sickness. <laughs> anyway, the, the Queens did a little performance on Britain's Got Talent. And I have to say, even Simon gave them a standing ovation. So you go, girls. Uh, you can check that out on Playville.com or on YouTube. It's really worth a watch. We've also posted it on our Facebook page. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Simon giving a standing ovation is ridiculous. So yeah, yes. that's that's awesome. Yes, that says a lot. Finally, we have some exciting engagements to announce. Isaac Powell, who had been in Once on This Island, and Wesley Taylor, who had been in SpongeBob, got engaged. We're so happy for them. They're such a cute couple. If you follow them on Facebook or Twitter, they're just the cutest things are so adorable together so congratulations to them also beth level who's currently in the prom and her longtime love adam heller who's currently doing flamingo kid they just got engaged too and i have to say first of all i love me some beth level i think she's amazing also I love that she was quoted as saying they went to Macy's to get the ring. She wanted to pick out her ring and she, and she used her coupon. I mean, you go girl. <laughs> I mean, that why? is, yeah. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> That's a yeah. woman after my own heart. <laughs> exactly. Oh my Lord. There's yeah. There are so many people who like, who, who flaunt like, oh, he spent so much on this ring. Okay, but why? Right. <laughs> like, and... it's, it's just going to sit on your finger just like another one. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I'm not going to comment on that because <laughs> I love my ring. <laughs> so it's, so it's, nice if, it's nice if it's his idea, but that they, I, I appreciate that they came together. Yes. And made that decision to like, yes. let's get let's get you the ring you want. Let's see. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, guys, we also just wanted to remind you that the 73rd Tony Awards will be on June 9th at 8 p.m. on CBS. And we're going to be doing a special episode next week for the Tonys. We're going to be giving our Tony predictions. We're going to be joined by Sammy DeSocio, and it should be a fun time. So be sure to join us next week. So I just wanted to thank you guys again for being with us for this special episode of It's a Theater Thing. We can always be found on the Onstage Blog Network on onstageblog.com, iTunes, and Spotify. If you would like to communicate with us, you can email us at theaterthing at gmail.com. Also, you can find us on Facebook on our It's a Theater Thing Facebook page, and our Twitter handle is 
at Theater Thing. So, Aaron, thanks so much. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> and we will see you guys next time. Bye.